0: Pretty good. We are live on the Strong Calm Podcast. Nice. Strong Calm Podcast. Calm, C-O-M, is the root word for together or in common. And I use that word as a springboard to talk about three things that I'm very passionate about that I love to help people with. And that would be communication, online and off, community building, online and off, and how those two things build stronger company, whether it's the company that you keep, like a person, mm-hmm. or the company that you're building, like a business. Nice. Today, I've got Brandon Davidson. That's him That's right there, guy. right there. He's a comedian, funny, funny guy. He's also the director. Yeah. What's your job title,
1: Zar? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the director of uh, operations and programs at Next Step.
0: All right. Operations yeah. and programs at Next Step Community Solutions. Yep. It is a nonprofit organization that helps the youths. That's right. All the youths with substance abuse, right?
1: Yeah, substance abuse prevention and mental health services all across East Texas.
0: Extremely important. Yeah. And thank you for doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's it, like I, I can only imagine. And I've we've we've had conversations before about like the work that you do, and I I just think that it's really really powerful mm. and uh, needed as as you know more yeah. than anybody I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely needed. So uh, we'll talk. Uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff, yeah. and then we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Most of the time, uh, <laughs> if you leave a comment on YouTube or if you leave a comment on Facebook, we can actually populate the comment in this fancy little video software and uh, have it on the show. I'll ask Brandon, and he'll give me an answer. And yeah, yeah. So um, that's how we do things over here. I love so, it. Uh, just so just so, is there anything else you want to add as far as like you know your bio or anything like that? <laughs> No, I mean, <clears throat> I'm just a dude. Yeah. That stuff. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Me too. Mm-hmm. All right. So, let's uh, jump right into the three C's, okay? Let's First C is communication. So, All right. I wanted to talk to you about communication, and we're going to talk about comedy. Okay. So, you, just before we went live, you were talking about how you haven't been able to do comedy since March. Right. That sucks.
1: Yeah, that's. it's been really different. Yeah, um, yeah I was typically used to going on stage. 25, 30 weekends a year. And then I haven't been on stage since I think my last gig was March 7th. So it's definitely been an adjustment for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On March 7th, did you talk about COVID
1: at all? No, it, it was sort of weird, you know, like December, January. It's like, oh, hey, there's this new virus. That's maybe going to be a thing. And we're like, yeah, all right. Yeah. And then February, it was like, I still went on my radar. No. And I was doing this really fun gig. Uh, in Dallas and uh yeah i had no idea it was going to be my last show of the year probably
0: yeah yeah the uh i do a podcast for work right mm-hmm. and when we when coronavirus started to become a thing yeah the first episode we did like we did an episode when it first became a thing and the title is coronavirus with lime cool. and we were like huh corona this won't Lyme. be a thing it yeah. won't be a thing and then like i i like was looking at the video and we were talking about 80 people total in the U.S. at that time, and it was like, it's bad. It sounds bad, but it's not that bad. So we'll keep a track on it. Not a big deal. Fifteen cases, it'll be zero soon. Yeah, exactly. Now, like just looking back, it's just so crazy.
1: Yeah, it's unreal. I think what did we hit? We hit seven million cases in the U.S. yesterday. Mm. Two hundred thousand deaths. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's uh, definitely had an impact. And uh, I don't. I, don't, I certainly didn't see it like in December of last year. No. I didn't see how it was going to impact. I mean, no. I came in with a mask today and. Yes. Yeah. Same. Same. Way different.
0: Same. Yeah. It, it is way different. So comedy has really affected every comedian. Yeah. And anybody who really does any kind of live performances. Right. So how have you kind of tried to adjust and, and account for that? I mean, I know that it's not your full time deal. Right. But at the same time, like how have you adjusted and tried to like plan for what's next? Oh, right. Yeah. I think that's
1: what everybody's sort of looking at right now. I know, you know, all my buddies that, that do stand up, we're trying to figure out like, what is the virtual move? Like, Mm -hmm. do you start doing zoom shows? Uh, Comedy is such a intimate, like performing art, like sounds so weird to call it like an art. Uh, it totally is, though. I, I guess there's certainly like technique and mm-hmm. then art that, that happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're on stage and you're telling a joke that you've, that you've written, that you've worked on and you're going to try to elicit a response from a crowd and it's like immediate or mm-hmm. not, like mm-hmm. you know, if it worked, but on zoom, like, I mean, we've all had those meetings where you forget that your mic's muted and yeah. you tell a joke. And then you're like, oh shit, I'll have to like redo that. So yeah, I mean, timing is so weird online. Yeah, and
0: and it's absolutely essential for comedy. And for comedy, yeah.
1: And if like people don't have their mics unmuted, you you'd like to be able to hear them laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just so weird. So I haven't I haven't jumped in to do anything like online other than hopping on buddies like live streams and stuff like that, because I don't know how well like my style of comedy would work uh, virtually Um, comedy clubs, like everything that makes a comedy club good Mm. seems like counterproductive right now, like Mm -hmm. low ceilings packed in people. Yeah. Everybody facing you expelling particles out of their mouth at the same time. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I'm still trying to write uh, still trying to, you know, capture everything I can so that when I'm ready to get back on stage, I've got some fresh things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just that sort of like wonder, like, okay, all the old jokes, is any of that stuff still going to hit? Yeah. Like, is the, I mean, it's just different. Like, yeah. Can,
0: what, I, why wouldn't it hit though, do you think?
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, it it's so weird. Like, at some level, like, to me, stand up has always felt like kind of a selfish thing to do mm-hmm. because I'm going on stage and saying, like, oh, I've got this really fresh take on whatever mm-hmm. pl- on roadhouse the movie mm-hmm. please listen to this <laughs> yeah. and i'm the only one allowed to talk right now right and you'll laugh occasionally and it's so it always felt kind of like selfish and then now with everything going on it's like man or i think crowds are still going to react to you know to uh, self-deprecation and yeah like the stuff that yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I just won't know till I get back on stage, I guess.
0: <laughs> and I was going to ask like your, your style. I've seen you perform multiple yeah. times, but self deprecation is definitely in there. Right. Right. And then what else would you say kind of is your style?
1: Um, so like I,
0: I want to tell stories from my
1: life. So like for me, it's going to be things like, uh, my parents, my family, now that I'm a dad, my kids, you know, uh, my marriage and then just stuff I see and don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know? I think I'm smart about some things and then just completely oblivious to others. And I just like to see if that tracks with anybody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah. And and now that you've said that it's definitely your whole, your whole deal, yeah, it's, it's, it's really your, your entire life, yeah. you know, and then you kind of flip it in just different ways. Yeah. So do you feel like that there's like kind of a, a fear that I don't know. I think that I, I don't do stand up. I don't do comedy, but I feel like people craving, getting back into what they used to do i like you know downtown they've done live music like once or twice ish yep. you know and it's like whoa like it's like i'm not even there and it's like i want to be there again you know yeah so like i think i think that people were going to be really receptive to it and just be like thank goodness i'm you know it's not even that funny but i'm glad i can laugh i think so <clears throat>
1: i mean i hope so that, that that's the thing i mean i've got friends who started go, going back on stage recently, and we've been talking, Hey, what are the crowds like? Mm -hmm. What's working? Do they want to hear you talk about COVID? Yeah. Um, like, what's up? And I think you're on the money. Like, I think people want connection. So they want to be in that room. They want to be there with each other. And then, yeah, they want to have their mind taken off of everything just for a second. Kind of make that chaos a little less chaotic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, I want to talk about comedy in, in, in the framework of like self deprecation and, and really like, how comedy like I don't know there's so much comedy out there and there's different varieties and everybody's got different strokes and different jokes Yeah, but what like there's something interesting that I find in comedy in that there's always that pain or that hurt or that like bad thing mm-hmm. you know that like brings out the story and brings out the humor you yeah. know? and I've never been able to really like understand why that is like why is it that like the negative side of stuff always seems to get the better rise out of, you know, like I, I see this in, in like target too. It's like, right. you know what I mean? Like you get a, sh- you know, the shirts, they're never going to be like a positive me- Like you'll have a positive message, but all the humorous ones come from like pizza shirt, you know what I mean? Yeah, pizza good, and yeah. chill or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever it is like, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good example, but I you've think,
1: seen them. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're everywhere. I think, um, <clears throat> so most comics when they start finding their voice, mm-hmm the things that uh, inspire them to write are the things that draw emotion out from them. Mm. Right. So like, um, so for me, it's like the big three it's, did this make me sad? Mm -hmm. Did this make me mad? Did this make me anxious? Right. So those are kind of the um, emotions and secondary emotions I kind of look at and go like, okay, what's making me anxious about this? And I just sort of write, not even really looking for the funny yet, Mm -hmm. but just like trying to be aware of it. And if, and when I realized that that's a lo- relatable that, Hey, we're all, you know, when, when you're in a relationship, we become anxious about like, how are we as like a partner to somebody else?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and going like, Oh, I think that's pretty universal. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Or like when you become a dad, like going like, Oh man, at what moment do I become my parents? And is that like a common fear or like, uh, just the anxiety around having like certain condos with your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, or the things that piss you off, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, uh, whether it's the drive to work or whatever, and trying to just kind of flesh that and go, okay, what is it that is a that emotion from me
2: mm-hmm. and
1: how do I um, write about that? And then at some point you got to find a way to make it funny, whether it's like a misdirection or, um, or revealing something about yourself. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. So so like you think of it, you you think of it from an emotional point of view when you kind of sit down and start? I do. So there's really kind of two ways I
1: look at stand-up. One is what is it that makes me laugh? Mm -hmm. So if something just really hits me funny, then I'm like, oh, I gotta write that down. Mm -hmm. And it's probably annoying to people around me, but if I'm having a convo with somebody and I make them laugh. Sometimes I'll just rip my phone out and be like, okay, I have a good line. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I may need to use that again. Yeah. And I mean, I've got like fragments in a folder on my phone that if I'm working a bit and I'm like, I don't know, it needs a little something else, I'll go through that. And it's maybe lines I've used in condos. And I'm like, oh, let's try that as a tag on that joke. Right. It got a laugh. Maybe in this context, can I actually pull it into this one and see if it works? And that's where you're kind of always like A B testing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, is is the specificity of this brand of car funnier than this brand of car, mm. or is this number funnier than that number?
0: Yeah, um, that's so funny. How like dialed in, like, and and technically, it it matters though.
1: It does, and it seems so like it's it's dumb to talk about like this way because it's like, oh, I'm up there telling fart jokes, but at the same time, it's like, wh- what is funnier? The idea that like you farted in a Toyota Corolla with the windows that wouldn't roll down or yeah. that you farted in the car. Like yeah. the specificity makes it hopefully a little funnier. I don't know.
0: Right. But it, it, yeah. And I think just in good storytelling, if you can have that concrete example that people like everybody's been in a Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Or even if you say Toyota Corolla, Somebody might just trigger, you know, mm-hmm. it's not even a Toyota Corolla, actually. Like if you were to peer into their brain, yeah. But it is like an older car for whatever right, reason. Right, right, right. It's not like a twenty twenty. Yeah, they're going yeah. like, oh, it's a mom car. Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like that, that that's pretty interesting. So like when you so the specificity is uh-huh. like important. One thing you said earlier though that I thought was interesting was, was that you, you, you feel like it's a selfish act. Yeah. I kinda wanna touch on that again. Sure, yeah. So so like it it being a selfish act what like i guess i see that but mm-hmm. at the same time you're doing it for other people sometimes right yeah i mean cuz like i'm i do poetry right so yep. like like there's a sense of yeah definitely i wrote this and this is for me yeah but at the same time i understand that when i'm on the stage and i just write diary like i just screen my diary out uh-huh. it's not going to be very fun for anybody, correct. <laughs> you know, even me, really. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so like, you pick up on that pretty quick. Hopefully, As, yeah. a, as a poet, you know, any kind of any kind of performance of like, mm-hmm. what am I doing here? Like, I don't feel like anybody kind of connected with whatever I said, or maybe you don't care. So I don't know. I relate to like that in some way, but at the same time, I would hope that a performer is thinking about the audience when they go to do their thing.
1: Yeah. Hey, I do. I think that it feels selfish to me because like, uh, I choose to get in my car and drive hours Mm -hmm. to talk for minutes. Mm -hmm. And in, in doing that, it's a, it's, I'm saying, well, I value that over potentially like spending time at home. Sure. Right. So that for me, that's where it feels selfish. And I'm like, Oh dude, there's going to be reasons why I'm getting this car to do this gig. Mm -hmm. Like, am I working with a comic I want to work with? Am I, is it for, uh, is it a club that I haven't worked before? Is it, am I, do I have this new joke that I'm just desperately wanting to tell to see how it works? Mm -hmm. So it's got to kind of check some boxes for me. And then, yeah. And then once you're on stage, that connection, uh, depending on where you are on the show if you're that first comic it's so beautiful because they're not an audience yet and when you get that first laugh it is the first time that group of people have laughs together
2: Mm. so that's
1: really cool if you're in the back of the room and you're watching that first comic you're like oh man i hope hope they get them yeah hope this works and you you can do a little you can start like figuring it out back there going like okay they're shying away from this material or they really like this material what do i have in my bag and um Yeah, and you're trying to figure out how to connect with. um, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea when I get on stage, so I have to figure out like who are my people when I'm telling those jokes, and how do I just try to bring everybody else along enough that we're going to have a good time? Yeah,
0: (laughs) so yeah, 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 because I mean it's 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 a terrible situation. You know, it feels really really awkward when you're bombing. You know, like I've never been. I've never bombed, but I have in poetry world bombed in that like. Nobody knew what the heck I was talking about.
1: Yeah. I wonder what that looks like. So like in poetry world, like in comedy, it's like uh, time speeds up and slows down. Yeah. Like you may go like, oh, I'm supposed to be on stage 20 minutes. I have all this material written and then you're just going so fast. Uh So and then you're like, oh, no, I still have 10 more minutes. What am I going to do? That's hard. And then also there's no laughter. So your timing is off and your speed's off in poetry is it that people just stop making eye contact and they're not snapping anymore? Or like what
0: happens? <laughs> that happens. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's really the dead silence. Part oh, that's just so like, boring. because, because as you, as you, as you say your poem, you want some kind of feedback. And then like, like in the poetry world, especially if you're in front of a good audience who experienced with poetry before they know what they need to do to give you the energy. Right. So like so, if so it's a snap or if it's a clap or if it's a, yeah, or a, uh uh-huh. Yeah, it's a call response type thing of just like, if it resonates, you make a sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like sometimes, there's no sound.
1: Isn't that cool though? Because like, stand up, I feel like as comedians, there's only one sound I want. Right. And that's laughter. Yes. And any other sound, I'm like, come on, you don't have to do that. Like, yeah. they you're like, oh, like grunt, it's like, okay, you don't have to make that noise. Just <laughs> laugh or don't laugh. Yeah. And, but like, that's interesting. Like poetry, you're like, oh, I could get five different yeah. From this crowd.
0: yeah yeah like a lot of times i don't mind too much if yeah yeah, yeah. you know like if, if somebody's a little angry or whatever like
2: uh-huh. I,
0: yeah that that rarely happens it's usually silence is if they're not driving it's gonna be silence right. more than it's gonna be tomatoes you know yeah, yeah, yeah but uh yeah like like poetry i guess is unique in that there's like different ways that you can acknowledge the person speaking
1: yeah and and like my comedic style is such that like I don't I can't think of a time where I've alienated people and they're like, okay, forget this guy. Like I'm out of here. Like I just look like a shop teacher who's like out on a date. (sighs) Like when I get on stage, so they're just like, All right, we'll tolerate this dude for a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I mean, I'm not political on stage. I'm not, you know, I don't have any like hot takes on that sort of thing. So Uh it's like yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm yeah, just trying to make people laugh and and we're all going to be all right for a little while.
0: Yeah. And, and essentially like relate, right. That's it. Like, like really relate. You're you're a very relatable kind of person.
1: I hope like, you know, you want to, you want to share part of yourself with that audience because I mean, I think, you know, whether you're like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters what art medium it is. You want people to know what you're about, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and because they're not there when you write the poetry or paint the painting or write the joke. And sometimes it feels like it's super organic and they don't always see the wadded up sheets of paper that made that three minute bit happen mm-hmm. or the 80 times you tried it in open mic and got nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they see it when it's a little further along, but yeah, it's, You you want to? I think when you're when we're at our best, it's not a cheap line. It's they know more about you
0: or your point of view because of what you just did.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you bring them into the fold a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of bring them into your world essentially. And like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can I can connect with that. Um, So I'm gonna kind of bounce back to the mental health concept too of just like, okay, so. And, and we're talking about communication, right? So, right. like, I didn't know what you did, really. Uh-huh. You know, and for for a while, I just sure. knew, hey, you do comedy stuff, and uh-huh. then I didn't know what your like main game was, was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I figured out it was with like mental health and counseling and things mm-hmm. like that, I was like, well, this is an interesting, you know. It's yeah, it's a weird combo no, no, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So so talk about that a little bit. Like like was there ever? I mean, you're just being you, right? Yeah. So there there's. But at the same time, you want to let people know what you're about, like you said. So so was there ever uh, a point where you said, OK, I'm writing like two different things here? Oh, that's yeah, was a point. Was it ever difficult for you to be like, like, I'm, I'm knowing that there's some sort of uh, struggle or brokenness, you know, like, like you mentioned the emotions you're looking for, sad, mm-hmm. mad, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in comedy. And then you're also doing the mental health, where those emotions are are ripe, and you're trying to bring people out. Like you're, I guess the commonalities that you're trying to bring both of them out of those things. Yep. You're trying to bring people up to a higher level. But what did, what kind of, where's the dissonance there? I think yeah. like, I think in
1: both of those spaces, whether it's on stage or through the work at Next Step, I think it's trying to destigmatize the conversation right Mm. so like if i can get on stage and i can talk about um like a uh, a challenge that i've had a difficulty i've had um in a way that's maybe cathartic for me and the audience can come along with and maybe see themselves inside of i think that's that can destigmatize the idea i think especially for men right like i think men we typically express our emotions through anger Mm. We're just socialized that way from like a very young age. We don't cry. We don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can like start to tell our stories as men in a way where it's like, man, you know, we feel a lot of shit. And like, how do we share that in a way um, that destigmatizes talking about it? And then on that mental health side, the same thing. Like, I think in East Texas, it becomes really hard for kids. Uh, you know, all the way down elementary through adolescence and college age. There's just not a lot of resources here. And then at the same time, um, it's like, it's just stigmatized. Uh, Mental health is sort of seen as like a personal choice. Mm. Like, oh, you can choose to be happy. What do you have to be upset about? Um, You're not praying hard enough, like all those sorts of things. And, um, It can, uh, you know, we have, in East Texas, we've doubled the suicide rate in the past 10 years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. In Smith County, Smith County alone, we have one of the highest suicide rates of the, we have the highest suicide rate of the top 25 most populated counties in Texas. That's amazing. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and you know, it becomes this thing where like you say that and it sucks the oxygen out of the room. Right. You know, and I think, so, so like from a communication standpoint, how do you talk about it and say that, hey, conditions here in East Texas, one out of every three kids you see between 14 and 18 have had a mental health crisis this year, self-harm, suicidal thought, suicide attempt, one out of three. That's nationwide. So imagine we get here in East Texas and then imagine that we're in the midst of a pandemic that's made us more socially isolated. Right. For some people that's going to make a mental health crisis worse for other people that they, this may actually help, Hmm. which has been really interesting for me to think about, you know, if you have like social anxiety and some other things, the idea of like not having to be around people right now, that, that can actually maybe help some functioning. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think both spaces, um, I'm trying to create a safe place to talk about these things and yeah, to talk about these things and, um, and let people know it's okay. It's okay to, uh, to talk about it's, um, expe- especially for young men. I mean, you yeah, know, uh, we see that just mm-hmm. over in East Texas, particularly, um, you know, men, uh, when they choose to die by suicide, uh, they make less attempts than women mm-hmm. on average, but we pick uh, guns predominantly. So it's a very like lethal way. Uh and so um just just getting young men to talk about when they're not okay, um, having somebody they can talk to, you know, having a trusted adult. Um, when we talk about kids and adolescents is so important.
0: Yeah. Before we jump into the work with next step, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, a little bit deeper. Sure. Um I wanted to kind of let's button up the communication part mm. with with two things to yeah. where like we're talking about comedy and mental health. So like the anatomy of the conversations, like I'm curious to get your quick, your hot take. Yeah, you're not a man for hot takes, really. But nah, but one. at the same time, yeah. just it, it just kind of came to mind of like a, maybe a good way of like getting a a constructive thing out of it. So along the lines of communication, I wanted to see what your thing is, your your take is on what is the anatomy of like a, a joke or maybe a comedy comedy bit? Yeah. You know, like if you, if you were to break out of the parts, you don't have to say like you might, you, it, maybe it's one single joke. I'll leave it up to you. Like one single joke or like an entire 10 minutes. You act, see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. An entire act. <clears throat> and then I'm curious of, I want to get your take on what's the anatomy of a conversation about mental health uh-huh. with, Either, either as the person that's trying to help, or the person that's trying to ask for help.
1: Right. So, yeah, on the comedy side, for me, it's um, okay. What got a laugh out of me, and how do I package this in a way that um, that the crowd can digest? that's one place. And then the other part is that emotional stuff we talked about earlier. Like what, what gets me angry? What gets me sad? What gets me anxious? So like, if I'm so, I mean, there's all kinds of like little mechanisms you can do. So, you know, something basic, like, um, you know, my mom's originally from, I'm originally from Arkansas and Mm -hmm. uh, my mom has a Southern draw. And uh, um, she, um, she says, uh, wash instead of wash. She says, like, wrench instead of rinse. Yeah. She says, I'm so disappointed in you instead of I love you. <laughs> right. So, like, so, like, <clears throat> so that joke yeah. is like the rule of thirds, right? Like, I'm listing three yes. things to create a pattern. The third one breaks the pattern, right? Yes. Wash instead of wash. You're like, oh, yeah, my grandma does that. Uh-huh. Wrench instead of rinse. Okay. I feel him. What's, and then the third one, breaks the construct and actually like creates tension and releases it hopefully yeah right um, but then also like there's this weird truth there too right that you're then sharing a part of yourself with the crowd and that's a joke sometimes where the, the audience goes like oh and then others where they're like oh you know they, they, they laugh because of the surprise mm-hmm. of that turn so like that's sort of a construction there I think on my like more storytelling things, it's, okay, let me write out the story, exactly what happened. And then let me find those details in the story. Can I write a joke off the detail? You know, can I, um, so if I'm talking about uh, a Rubik's cube in here, like what are, what are some associations I can make really quick about a Rubik's cube that's going to pull the crowd along? Like, this person may have no idea what that is. So I've got to explain to them what that's like. Mm-hmm. And then this person may have a really good understanding. So now I've got to like subvert, like what their expectation is for talking about this Remix cube and then maybe try to pay it off again l- later in that story. Right. So first storytelling is just, yeah, writing it down the way it happened and then going back in and kind of filling in those details. And I guess some people really want to like, like button up that joke at the end to sort of tie it all back together. I do that most of the time, but sometimes it's really fun to let something just storytell break apart mm-hmm. and let the room sort of laugh it out. And then just a quick transition on to something else. It doesn't all have to be pretty.
0: Yeah. Love that. I love that. I think that's, that's great and really instructive. Like I, I think anybody could kind of start somewhere with, with those. And yeah, you know, it's, it's really Interesting, like I always think about like, how can we take this from this other industry, this other thing that we do and then implement it into whatever else I do? Right. So like like th- this podcast is a kind of businessy, yeah. you know, communication, uh, marketing kind of thing. So like I think about like what you just said, like if if anybody has a Rubik's like you don't have to think about Rubik's Cube. You can think about my product. You can think yep. about service. You can think about whatever it is. Yep. And how can I make this?
1: You want to make it relatable. You want to you already know that. If you're in a certain vertical in your business, like here's the way people, uh, the association, everybody makes me think of a used car salesman. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do I, if, if I know that's my, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. (laughs) So like, how do I subvert that expectation? Yes. Like, how do I not deliver on that stereotype they have? Or maybe I do want to deliver on it and then misdirect it. Right. Right. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, regardless of, like, what we're up to, there's... And then I think in in sales in general, like, people know when they're being sold to you. Mm -hmm. And if you're on stage telling a joke, sometimes it can feel really overwritten. It doesn't feel like it really happened to the person or is organic. And you got to find a way to to make it feel off the cuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, it's a conversation, even though the machinery is going in your head, like, okay, do I have their attention? Do I... How do I move them through this funnel so I can get them to a place of urgency to want to buy my product? For sure. Yeah. How do I solve this problem for them um, while kind of keeping them on the hook enough, especially in a joke? You don't want them to get to the punchline before you do. Right. You want to reveal it to them. I would think sales is pretty similar. You want to be building interest and intention, and then you want to present that, your pitch at that call to action at just the right time.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So much of it is timing right. and and understanding like, okay, how can I pace this person along yeah. to where they feel confident in their decision with yep. the right, you know, information all along the way. Yep. So yeah, it's that reverse engineer, you yep. know, and com- comedians do it. Oh, salespeople yeah. do it. Marketers do it. That's, it's it's really what it's all about. So let's think about the, the mental, mental health, health aspect. Yeah, like, yeah. So So if you're, how do we reverse engineer that type of conversation that can be so difficult and complex? I think part of it with,
1: with adolescence. So let's take one of the like most uh, difficult things to talk about suicide. So if we're, so if we're talking to a young person in East Texas, if I'm talking to a group of teachers and I say, how many of you guys have students who stop by your classroom and they want to, they're like frequent flyers. They want to share their life story with you. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And hands go up. Right. Teachers go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got three or four kids that stop by between these class periods and they just share their whole life. Right. And I say, well, like, okay, well, like, what are your worries? What are your concerns? Well, you know, I'm concerned that I don't have the tools I need to know if a kid is in like a crisis or non-crisis scenario. Right. And so we like give them tools like, okay, here's how you can tell the difference between crisis and non-crisis. Here's how you can like start that conversation with it, with a kid. And then when it comes to suicide, like, um, the research is really clear. Like you want to get to the point quick. So what we teach is we teach them to ask the question, Hey, are you thinking about killing yourself? Mm. Just a to B right. Not are you thinking about hurting yourself because a student may go, no, I want to stop hurting Mm. or Hey, are you thinking about doing something you're going to regret? no, I've been playing this for a long time. This isn't going to be regret. So actually like asking the hard question, asking that hard question and then being able to sit and hear the answer back and empowering those adults, um, that work with young people to now know what to do.
0: Yeah. So important. Yeah. And I think, I think the reason you don't ask hard questions, and I mean, this comes from the sales realm as well. It's like, like sometimes you can get right to the heart of a deal by just asking that hard question Yep. you know and but i think a lot of times we, we we stray away from that because we don't know what to do yeah we don't know what to do with the answer afterward right so you have to have that you have to be equipped with the right info yep so so what do you do with that kind of in, you know how do you sit with that what kind of information do you so
1: if so, what I so what we talk about a lot in our work is that suicidal thoughts common. You know, you know, I said earlier that about one out of every three kids between fourteen and eighteen have considered suicide mm-hmm. in the previous school year, right? So, so just letting a student know, hey, thoughts of suicide are common, but they don't have to be acted on, right? Like, yeah, just that can be really important, and then trying to suss out, you know what their level of planning is. Right. So like, um, do you have a plan? Mm -hmm. Have you decided how you would um, die by suicide? If you, if you did, have you written a note? Have you given away any of your possessions? Right. And like, uh, a higher level of planning is always a higher level of risk, but a lower level doesn't mean there's lower risk because with teens, there's so much of like, so much of it is impulsive. Mm -hmm. And so, if a student says, yeah, I'm seriously considering suicide. And yeah, I have a plan. It doesn't matter that they haven't quite decided the means or the time we want to act on it. We want to act on it quick. So, you know, we want to get, if we're on a school campus, then, you know, we want to use whatever suicide policy the school has. Um, We want to let the parents know and we want to make sure that we can get the kids the support that they need as quickly as we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to broaden the conversation up yeah, a little yeah, yeah. bit um so when and i think those are excellent uh, like i really appreciate you sharing that you know cool. i, I yeah. think that's really really great um so within the realm of mental health yeah now like you know we started talking about just the context of america yeah you know or well just covet really but at the same time like i think about this mental health thing as this is all played out mm-hmm. and like i consider myself fortunate because i have I have a job uh-huh. I have, you know, I'm like, i Chelsea and I've talked about this multiple times, you know, I'm 30 now. I'm like, what would I be doing at 23?
1: Yeah, dude.
0: I'd be screwed. Yeah. I'd probably be with be with my parents. Maybe. Uh-huh. I don't know. But like, I was barely getting by back then and this was not happening. Right. You know, and I was full time in the restaurant. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm so thankful. Oh, yeah. So like so like I think about, you know, I I still have friends that are in the restaurant industry. Yep. And then like I just think about young people who are just trying to get started and, you know, they might feel like there's barriers prior to this. And now there's even more barriers, yeah. you know, so like I think about that and I think about, man, like how can how can people see the the silver lining or, or a brighter day when. We've got so much crap getting thrown at us every day. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we just, the, our media consumption, everything's political. Yeah. There's riots in the streets. Mm-hmm. Like, golly, it's just, it can be so exhausting. So, like, like, are these types of conversations that you try to help, um, help th- that next step does try to help within families or within school systems? Like, like, h- how, how are those conversations? now like right
1: I, so when we talk about like so when we talk about mental health at like the individual level uh-huh. like uh, one of our counselors sitting with a student like it gets like really practical really quick like um really trying to help them unlock uh you know there's like a fine line i have a friend of mine lane ingram who's a therapist in austin and there's a HBO documentary, The Vow. Have you watched any of this? So it's so. about this uh, cult called Nexium, not the antacid. That's a great product. But um, <laughs> you think they would just pick another name. But anyway, so, so this cult, uh, he, Lane had this really interesting take that cult leaders, um, they do this one thing that therapists don't do, right? So like uh, a cult leader, a, a good therapist says, um, look at what you've done. Look at the progress you've made. Look at these tools that you have now that're letting that are unlocking these new ways of thinking, these new actions. Look at these new skills you have. where' like on the other side, you've got this person going like, you can only do this through me. Mm. I'm your only access to truth or um, knowledge, understanding, whatever. And so, you know, what we try to do at the individual level is really empower young people to go like, What's your way forward? Like how do we inspire like hope? How do we help them move forward? How do we give them strength, right? Um, and then, like at that more broad level, when we start thinking environmentally, like an entire school campus, when we do suicide prevention, the old way was to go in and just scare the hell out of kids. Yeah. Right. It's like sad, shock, trauma. Right. You bring in a parent who's lost a kid to suicide. You bring in an adult who made an attempt at suicide and you end up like triggering a whole bunch of kids who are Mm -hmm. like now they've overrun any services you have on campus Mm -hmm. because there's not enough resources anyway. And so now here we are. We've triggered You know, we have twenty five hundred kids at this high school and now we do this and now you've got potentially hundreds of kids who are now making outcries, right? So if you sit a group of kids down, we did this at Legacy last year. We had 55, 60 kids, and we said, um, okay, can you name all the, like, symptoms or risk factors for, like, a friend who's maybe suicidal? Boom, 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 making can of them, right? Hey, let's try the opposite. So what are the things, what are the resources, what are the... um, things in in our lives that like give us hope that like lift our spirits. Right. It's a lot harder to come up with that. Mm -hmm. So like kids get the idea that suicide is the second leading cause of death for their age group, but we don't talk enough about like what are the leading causes of life. So from like a branding and like marketing of that, we really try to flip that script and go like, okay, it's not sad shot trauma. It's like hope, help, and strength. Mm. How do we, how do we build resiliency in kids? So that when we're in a desert now where there's lack of resources, there's social isolation, how do we build um, those sort of – the program we use, it's called Sources of Strength. So how do we build strength in kids where they go, okay, I've got a mentor, right? Um, They're a little further ahead of me on this path that's positive. Hey, I – and been practicing generosity, like that's a strength I have. I've got positive friends, right? Like I've got these three strengths. So when life gets tough, I've got support. Or maybe for another kid, they're like, "Man, when my parents got divorced, it just completely bombed me out." But I've got these healthy activities, like I'm on the football team at school, and um, but and then you know my family support is kind of off right now, but my friends' family is super supportive. Mm-hmm. And so like we teach kids this new way of kind of looking at. Um, taking bad things that happen to us and using it as an opportunity to build our strengths and increase our resiliency.
0: I love that. So it's like, it's like you're helping kids identify the gaps. Yep. And then not sitting in the gaps, but filling the gaps with good things.
1: Yep. And here's the thing, right? Like we knew that if we could get, so right now we have 18 full-time counselors. They serve 52 campuses in Texas, in East Texas. We worked with about 900 students in the last school year. We'll see about a thousand this year. That's about 2% of the need. Wow. So we said, Hey, we gotta, we gotta, um, work individually. We know if we can get a kid in to see a counselor, it's going to help. But, and then we know if we can train school staff, that's good. But we know kids talk to other kids and we wanted to, um, use a program that didn't turn kids into junior psychologists, that let kids point their friends towards support, right? So, um, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, how do we how do we let kids uh, they and youth they share with each other all the time about how their life's going. It's a real heavy burden, man. If you're a kid who their your best friend is saying like, I don't know that I have a reason to live, and now there's a responsibility and a weight and a guilt, mm-hmm. and especially in these texts when you're like, you know. I don't even know what resources to point them towards. Like, I don't know. And so to be able to go in and and talk about hope, help and strength and building these sources of strength in our lives, youth are, the research says they're about four and a half times more likely to uh, connect their friend to a trusted adult than they were before. Mm. So, you know, getting kids that support they need as quickly as we can, that's a big deal. So we you know, we had to scale our work in a way that was a little different, mm-hmm. but to um yeah to work in the context we're in.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I like how you you were intentional about how do we get this kind of shareable. Yes, but in a proper proper way. Yeah, like
1: we we have to use like we're very intentional about it being uh, youth led. Like adults come alongside and support, but it's got to be youth using their art, their voice, their music. Um. Their platform completely, uh, because they can smell when it's something that adults want to push, and um, and it just doesn't get the buy-in. I mean, you can see just in right here in our community, we've we've had students lead the charge in renaming the local high schools.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, adults may have thought that was a good idea or a bad idea, but that was really because a group of students held onto that and said, "This is important to us." And they were unbelievably capable mm-hmm. and, it, and adults just needed to recognize it and then get out of the way. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, yeah. E- exactly. So like, what, what does it look like when you're saying there art, their music there? Like, yeah, it, it, is it, are you, are you putting on events or what does that look like in, in practice? Yeah. So is it, it all counseling or is it all, is it, is it small it's, groups? it's layered? Okay.
1: So, you know, we're, so this year we're working with 15 different school districts, and eight of those districts have all the layers of our programming. So they have the individual counseling where we'll see any student on campus for any reason. Like we try to remove all the barriers. Parents don't have to miss work. They don't have to mess with insurance. There's no charge. We're just right there on campus and the kids can come see us. That's it. That's that's effective. We, we also try to train school staff on how to identify issues so we can make good referrals. So we can get kids help quicker. The average wait time in East Texas is about seven months to get mental health care. Mm. That's once they get a referral. We we were able to shrink it down to six and a half days on the campuses that we serve. Um, but we know we need to get like more, there's more students that could be referred mm-hmm. than we actually have. Uh, and then eight of those school districts will do our suicide prevention program over top of that. And that works at the campus level. So when we say like their art, their voice, it's really like, so like a legacy. How do we how do we get the mo- the most diverse group of students possible together, so Socioeconomic, race, ethnicity, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, like everything. Really like the breakfast club. Like how do we mm-hmm. get them in the room,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and then we say, okay, this is our model. This these strengths. What do you think the best way is to share this on campus? Okay, you think that's you think that's uh, some sort of collective art display that, that identifies who the trusted adults are on campus. Okay, let's do that. Oh, you think that's um, that's going to be us uh, creating video content, social media content that first educates our peers on what these sources of strengths are, so we all have a common language before we you know can talk about it. Okay, let's do that. Oh, you actually want to do. Um, you want to work with your teachers and say that uh, thankfulness and generosity is important, but you also know your friends have test anxiety around math. So you go talk to all the math teachers and say that now on the back of every test before you get started, you have to write three things you're thankful for. Mm-hmm. And the research is really cool. like Kids report less test anxiety and the teachers can actually see the stress level like decrease in their classroom. Wow, right? that's amazing. Yeah. What an idea. Super, super cool. Um, and, uh, but, but, uh, and it can be hard sometimes, like as an adult, you're like, oh man, if we just did this, this would maybe be interesting, but there's been some, yeah, the, uh, nationwide, other, other groups have used similar programming to see what happens is, uh, youth led, it's super powerful.
0: Yeah. I, I read a book or well, I listened to a book one time and it said culture was co-created Yeah, and uh, it really like changed the way that I think about things. And, and, you know, it was kind of a stepping stone to this podcast, but like, like I really love how y'all go in and then you just take feedback and you're like, okay, well this is the torch, you know, here's how they want to run with it. Let's figure, you know, let's build the path around them. Yep. That's really, really awesome. I, I really think that's cool. Instead of let's dim the lights, set up the video tell a dramatic story, get everybody to cry and then figure it out and then bounce, go and on and bounce. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Yeah. It's just not effective. I mean, there's a lot of adults that can feel really good about that. Yeah. And go like, man, we delivered 800 presentations this year to 80,000 youth. And you're like, yeah, man, but what were the outcomes?
0: <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You well, know, like, and I think about like, uh, 13 reasons why Netflix, yep. I never watched it because for me, it's it, like, uh, not really important, but I, I didn't watch it because, it's hard for me to interact with that kind of content of like, sure. That's really sad. Yeah. yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. You know? So, but at the same time, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's like one to many mass media. Uh-huh. Here's a dramatic story. And then we wonder, yeah, you know what Netflix I mean? Like had
1: real, they, they, they have to sort of see some responsibility there. The, the suicide attempt rate for girls in the target demo for that show increased by like 26%.
0: Right. How sad. Right. Like,
1: right, and then they have to add a disclaimer at the end that they're like, "Man, we really should have thought about this on the front end. Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about suicide as a means for revenge and then wonder why people start to use it that way.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, yeah,
1: the medium is the message
0: a lot of times. Mm, it's so, exactly, exactly true. That's Marshall McLuhan, you guys. Look <laughs> <it up. laughs> I'm not going to ever have So but yeah I, I really like how you you go in and, and, and try to make it or as organic as possible yeah uh, and kind of working alongside with people um, as to, to kind of go from from youth and in, in, in high school and uh, you know really your your target in East Texas yep. to kind of broaden it out a little bit what how can we get a similar model going you know for adults for for adults because yeah you know, like you said it's not easy to get mental health counseling and get access to these type of and i do want to get your your i do want to uh know a little i want you to be able to detail a little bit of the. would you say hope hope help and strength hope help, yeah, and strength yeah, yeah. and like like if you could educate anybody listening on those kind of pillars because yeah. i think they're so so important but like how can we kind of broaden out before we get to that like how can we broaden that out to to more people like this kind of idea of like it's not just it's not just one-to-one counselor therapist I'm on the couch you're talking to me and all this kind of stuff and you know I bounce for an hour it's community-led but not you know a lot of times we look for community support and we find it in in a few different places we find it in the church Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not for everybody we find it in the bar and that's not for everybody and can in both of those can definitely be Really negatively impacted on our mental health, sure. given whatever happens in those social contexts. Yeah. So, like, how can communities build better mentally strong communities within themselves that are that are that are productive and not shunned like lepers?
1: I think I think we all have a role to play, right? Like, regardless of like what sector you're in, mm-hmm. whether it's the faith community, business, law enforcement. Um, you know, like all across when we start talking about adults. I mean, the reason why we focused on adolescents is because um, in most counties, the number one provider of mental health services is the county jail. Yeah, that's not good. Right. No, it's not. The, definitely not the model you want to like <laughs> no. roll out across the country. <laughs> but that's kind of where we're at. Right. So we said so we use a model upstream. Right. We want to go like, hey, so what happens later in life that that with so many people that are uh, in have these negative outcomes mental health wise. So we said, man, we need to back this up and figure out why people are falling in the river in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's why we really started targeting adolescents. We're like, man, if we can get these kids to help, they need early intervention we can make a big difference. I think a lot of the same kind of things apply later. Right. So how do we like destigmatize even talking about mental health? Right. A real easy thing you and I can do as soon as we leave here is in our peer groups, right? Like, um, normalizing, asking our friends how they are and like giving a shit. Mm-hmm. Like not that like, hey man, how you been? They're like, good. And you're like, s- s- thank you for saying good yeah, because I was exactly. not ready for the bad.
0: That's <laughs> how know? it goes, yeah, yeah.
1: So, but but you know, and I think guys, I think sometimes we get in this weird mode where we feel like when somebody shares a problem or difficulty that they immediately want us to go into fix it mode.
0: Yeah, I, I do that all the time. That was probably
1: one of the hardest lessons for me to learn, like in my marriage. Yeah, and so like I just did this last night. Uh, my wife was talking to me. I said that I go, "Hey, am I in uh, am I in listening mode or am I offering solutions?" She's like, "Listening mode." I was like, "Cool." Yeah. So you know, I think in our like friend relationships, right? Like, how do we let our how do we let our boys like how do we let our friends like go like, "Hey, this sucks." And I'm not okay. Um, and I just need you to listen to this. Right. And then you not go like, man, just toughen up. Like, wh- you know, whatever it is, whether it's relationship or work struggle or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but letting them be there and be vulnerable in a way that normalizes talking about struggle. Um, I mean, we see this like, I think it either goes one of two ways, right? Uh, whether it's an art or music, we nor- we like a um, glamorized struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the poet Kendrick Lamar that said, "Yeah, I, I remember syrup sandwiches and Chrome allowances." Yes, right. Yeah, like yeah. opening line of the song, right? So like, sure. Let me let me immediately let you know that I've come from something. Yeah. Um, I think we're good at talking about that in past tense. Definitely. So how like so as friends, like how do we get better at going like? Hey man, I've noticed like something seems up with you lately. Like what's going on mm-hmm. and like being able to sit with them in that moment and let them talk about it and go like, okay, like I'm here. We're still in this relationship. Um, I think that's a big first step that we can make, right? Normalizing, like talking about how we feel as guys is like so critical. And then uh, also just like how we talk about mental health in general in these Texas, uh, same on substance abuse side. Like, it's so much like, uh, that they're a drug addict. Oh, uh, they're a crackhead. And it's like, man, we just, we just labeled that person. Like if you broke your leg, you wouldn't be like, Oh, there's old broke leg. Like, right. You know, it's like, yeah. or, or, you know, Oh, my brother's a schizophrenic. It's like, no dude, your, your brother has diagnosed schizophrenia. That's not who he is as a whole person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so like, um, you know, uh, i'm left-handed uh that doesn't that has an impact on my life right uh, i have anxiety and unipolar depression that also has an impact on my life that's not the totality of who i am right mm-hmm. and i think a lot of times it comes to mental health it's like so much weight is put on it that you're like man they're so broken i don't even know how i can even
0: well yeah and i, I would think that the self-talk's the same way
1: oh dude yeah the self-talk for sure
0: and and i think and and like now we're gonna it gets super complex and like, I'm right. no, I'm no therapist or what have you, but, but like I can see it sometimes, or yeah, you know, my perception anyway, of like how, because the struggle can be glamorized or what have you, we mm-hmm. can attach ourselves to this, like a whole identity mm-hmm. and it can be even more damaging because it's like, I, you know, I, this see, is me, this is me, this whole condition is me and this is and there's there's no way out. I know
1: for me personally that's a big part of like my negative self-talk is hey, I'm unlovable. Hey, people don't people uh, view you a certain way like whatever and so that that anxiety and that depression does manifest itself in a way where you're like, "Oh, I don't always see that it's not always going to be this way." Mhm that the negative self-talk that I tell myself that I, that I can, uh, there's things I can do to help kind of turn that tape off in my brain a little bit. Um, And uh, you know, if I just kind of keep doing the work and, and keep, you know, letting the people around me know how I'm doing. And then also professional help, man, like normalizing the idea that like going to therapy is not weakness. Mm -hmm. Like you break your leg, like as a friend, you would go like, I think you need to get that checked out. Like I can see the bone. Yeah. Like you would, yeah. but you know, sometimes we just see this like weakness, like, what are you doing going to talk to a therapist for? Like, right. you know, like I mean, we all deal with trauma and pain in different ways. So yeah, it may be something that takes you 10 weeks to talk through the therapist and you're like, Man, that felt good to talk about. Or it may be now a lifelong process you're in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you just kind of need a little tune up Absolutely. Or a little boost. You yep. know. Yeah. Um, to to kind of sum it up, I think this would be a great way to end it because it's a strong, calm podcast, and you're talking about strength, right? Like, yeah. like the the invert, like so, and and that really is inspiring to me because I, you know, my life changed in a significant way. You know, I grew up in East Texas and uh had a religious upbringing, and you know, uh, I still see value in a lot of yeah, you know, what I learned, of course, uh, and I always take it with me. But you know, things change, and all this kind of stuff, but you know, in my life, like my life changed significantly when I started to learn that there was, um, like per- personal development literature out there that wasn't, you know, like it spoke into my life, but it wasn't in a religious context, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, wait a minute, I can get like that type of like energy, that kind of, that kind of food for my soul. You know what I mean? Like, like I can, I can get some kind of, I don't know constructive information for my life. Yeah. Um. Outside of the church, and like mm-hmm. that was like really like whoa because I didn't know until I was like twenty something years old. Right. You know? So like to that that's encouraging to know that like that kind of foundation is what is helping build some of the uh, and, and battle the the mental health epidemic yeah that we have mm-hmm. um so speak to that a little bit and maybe i just like totally that, that is not accurate at all i have no idea but <laughs> no no i mean but, like I, I feel like there is some sort of i, I feel like there, there is some sort of uh connection there where like people just need better information you know to replace with the bad information that that people can get stuck in
1: yeah and in that one of the weird things that i like the sort of social media world we live in. Right. So we can be here in East Texas and imagine you're like somebody who identifies as, you know, LGBT and here you are in East Texas and you're like, oh man, this could be an alienating place to live, mm-hmm. but you can go online and find community mm-hmm. and you can find resources and you can find um, support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time you can find hate and vitriol. Right. And, um, it's all sort of right there. It's just like, uh, amplified in like this new and powerful way. Right. And so, you know, um, my, my hope for people is that, um, we get better at talking to each other. Uh, and then more importantly, we get better at listening to each other. Um, kind of picking up on those cues that, you know, something, something's not, not right something's not going well for somebody and being able to support them and then i want you know agencies and individuals to operate at the top of our ability man like to to stop when i look at you know east texas i see so much work to do and i see so much competition to do the same work to for this to to you know from a sales standpoint we all want to sell the same product to the same person for the same price Mm. and instead of going like what what's my differentiator like you know when we said we want to bring hope help and strength to east texas youth we want to we we feel like we're most effective and we're the most operating from our place of strength when we're doing that Mm -hmm. i know that there's very broken systems in place for adults to get access to mental health care. I know that, you know, our calling is to really be all in on youth. I'm hoping that somebody else can come alongside and figure out some of these linkages that can happen on the adult side and we're going to collaborate with them. We're Mm going to support them. and It doesn't need to be uh, competitive. And I hope that people, East Texas is one of the most generous communities I've ever lived in. And I hope people find ways to support good work. So like if they feel like they're at a loss and they go, man, I know there's an issue, but I personally don't know how I can make it better. Like, I mean, it seems really cliche, but like that, the power of the pen, man, like writing that check, then knowing that agency, people that you've identified as doing good work, like supporting that good work um, is, is so important. Um, especially at a, the time we're in now, I mean, I know a lot of nonprofit agencies, um, we've been really lucky, uh, uh, financially. And, um, but I know a lot of agencies that really struggle now cause they can't do all the things they used to do to raise funds because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all have a part to play <clears throat> and, uh, whether that's individually relationally with our friends, um, whether that's supporting an agency or whether that's, uh, in the businesses that we run or work in, like, I man, I think mental health is one of the most important things we can do in our business. If our coworkers don't know that we give a damn, if, it about them, not about them as like an output, like say, Hey, did you get your sales goals this right. month? Right. 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 Like if I had a sales guy that worked for me, I, I used to work uh, for a big.com and was on their product development team. And led that product development team. And there's one conversation you can have when somebody's not hitting their targets, and that's, hey, this sucks. You got to get better at this. And then there's the other one that's, hey, here was our target. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I certainly feel more supported on this other one. Yeah. I certainly feel more trust. And we've got to find ways to build trust and build empathy, like in our
0: businesses, for sure. I love that. Yeah, I think you're very right. It's so important, and and I love the way that you frame that up of just like the difference between those two types of conversations. And I've I've heard from coaches that I have that you never want to make you never want to make your your uh, you know the person you're talking to feel like they're not measuring up. Yeah. You know, even if they're not hitting the target or hitting whatever it is, their own goal or whatever, the last thing you want to do is bat them in the face with it. Right. And my goal as a leader at Next Step is to remove obstacles. So,
1: yes. if so I see it as if if my people aren't hitting the goals that we've set together, I certainly have responsibility there. Mm-hmm. So like what do i did i do a poor job communicating my expectations did i do a poor job of giving them the resources they need to meet my expectations did i do a poor job of um of you know the communication along the way and Mm -hmm. then have i done a bad job of like supporting them and removing obstacles that allow them to do good work and if i can check all that off and feel like i did a good job well then yeah maybe there's an additional convo to have but it's a shared responsibility for sure
0: yeah yeah Awesome, man. Well, this has been a great conversation. We did it. I really appreciate it. We did. We did. So uh, really love the work that you're doing. I can't Thanks. wait to see you sometime in Tyler to do some comedy. Yeah. So we can laugh again. That'd be, That'd great. be great. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to share with the audience?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, as you're, as you're looking around East Texas, um, check out our website, um, nextstepcs.org. Like I said, we've served uh, 15 different um School districts, 52 campuses, if you don't see your campus or your child's campus on that list, let us know. Because we're we're always talking to school districts about how we can make social and emotional um, support the norm in East Texas. Um, so, yeah, if you want us somewhere, uh, we'll figure out a way to do it. Let us know.
0: Love it. Thank you all. Like, share, subscribe. You know the deal. Yeah. We'll see it. you. We'll see you.